Let us open up our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. Today we finish our series from 1 Peter, which was the break from the book of Genesis. And we will conclude this portion of scripture this morning, God willing. So chapter 5 of 1 Peter, you will find uh, 1 Peter before Hebrews, James, uh, before, um, so after Hebrews, James, before 1 John, uh, right towards the end of your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we shall read the portion of Scripture first, and then we shall um, go through it as we consider what the Lord has to say to us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, and this is the Word of God. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of, hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom to, someone to devour. Resist him, firming your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. 
Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Dear loving God and Father, we pray, open the eyes of our understanding. Help us understand your word. But Lord, we pray that we may not just be hearers of your word, but doers. Help me, O Father, to be clear, yet bold. And Lord, we pray that you may change us, Lord, from glory to glory. And O Lord, for the glory and praise of your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, I pray. Amen. Amen. Daniel's had an assignment this week to read through Pilgrim's Progress. This book I have in my hand was donated to us, given to us by Jojo. Remember Sister Jojo, who's gone to be with the Lord a year before last. And we miss her indeed dearly. Marjorie was her name, Marjorie. And Daniel's been reading through uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't grabbed a copy and if you've never read this, I would strongly encourage you to read it. In fact, this is the second most sold book in the world. Second one, the first one is the Bible. This indeed is a treasure trove of, of uh, uh, an allegory. It's an allegory which tells us the, the journey of a man by the name Christian. And as he travels, he goes out of the city of destruction, heading towards the celestial city. And it describes his journey from the very moment he picks up a book, the Bible. All the way through his journey, he faces all sorts of things, dangers, hardships, spiritual battles, people who are attempting to deceive him and to hold him back and for him to go astray. But what is it that keeps Christian carrying on in his journey? The writer of Pilgrim's Progress was a man by the name John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a, a man of God who spent many years in prison. In fact, he spent 12 years of his life in prison and then he was released. And shortly after that, he was in prison for a little while longer. His wife died. They had four children. This was before prison. One of his children was blind. And he then married Elizabeth. Elizabeth was just 18 years of age when he was imprisoned. And he spent 12 years in prison. Elizabeth was pregnant as he was taken. Sadly, she lost her baby. She gave birth to a stillborn child um, prematurely. as a premature birth. What were the charges for his imprisonment? Well, he refused to stop preaching. Now, preaching was not, for, uh, was not something that was forbidden at that time. People could preach, but what was forbidden, what was not right, is that uh, they were banned from preaching by not being authorised from the Church of England. So if you were not an authorised preacher, you could not preach. And so he was not part of the Church of England. He was non-conformist. 
And so he was banned from preaching. In fact, he was not authorized to travel. Any preacher out of the COV was not allowed to travel for five miles radius from his house. And neither were they allowed to be in a room where more than five people be gathered. Those were the restrictions back in that time for him. So he refused. And by refusing, he ended up in prison. He could have recanted and said, or at least said, no, I won't do it, but like other preachers, but he refused. He shared the gospel with a, with a um, uh, jail guy and uh, he allowed him from time to time to go out to sneak out as long as he would come back and he would sneak out and then come back. But for 12 years, he spent that time in prison. How was he able to endure the hardship and suffering through his lifetime? Well, in the same way that Christian the man whom he wrote about was able to endure through his journey in life. And the answer of that is, they were filled with hope. Or John Bunyan was filled with hope. And hope, hope is the theme of 1 Peter. All through 1 Peter, we see this theme of hope. Hope in the midst of suffering. And chapter 5 is no exception. Peter is writing, he's writing to uh, the scattered church and he's writing by a man by the name of Silvanus. And look there in verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12. By Silvanus, he was like the secretary, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of of God, And he tells the church, stand firm in it, in that grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favour towards sinners who deserve the opposite. We said during the Bible study this week, grace, you can think of it as the, 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 the words, the uh, letters G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that is what grace is. The grace of God has been given to sinners who deserve the opposite, who deserve God's wrath. But they are given God's grace by virtue of the finished work of Jesus Christ and God's love towards sinners and applying that to their lives in the, in the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus Christ came to die for sinners and sinners who once were hopeless, sinners who once were helpless, now have a hope. More than that, a living hope. Do you have that hope? That living hope of the glory to come. Yes, It's a living hope. And if you haven't got that hope, listen carefully, tune carefully, because it's indeed the wonderful news of salvation that God saves sinners. The Bible calls us to repent from our sin, to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus Christ, the Saviour. Your sins can be forgiven. All your sins, from start to finish, all forgiven, guilt, gone. If you haven't trusted the Saviour, trust the Saviour today. He carries on, verse 13. So she who is at Babylon, this would have been the, the church, I believe is a reference to the church in Rome. 
who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. There's affection and love as a result of the hope of the gospel. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, Peter knows that the gospel proclamation leads to hope, to a living hope that is only given by God in the gospel of Christ against all the odds. Hope makes believers endure. Hope revives the lowly. Hope encourages the weak. Hope upholds the fainting. Hope gives confidence to the believer to live in the way that God wants him to live. And it is hope that Peter has been calling for. And Peter uses three examples in chapter 5 of people that live in hope. And so we shall see uh, those three examples in turn. Three examples and then I will conclude with an exhortation. So these are four points. But don't panic. I'll just take about an hour. No, each. No, I won't. Don't panic. There'll be four short points. The, The first three are, he's addressing to the elders, then he speaks to the younger, then he speaks to the suffering, and will conclude with a word of exhortation. So he begins by throwing a virtual hug or a virtual cuddle, an embrace around the church elders who were scattered around the area. He's writing to them in verse 1. The elders are... uh, Mature believers who have been given a responsibility over the church. Elder is a term for ruler, uh, those who leave the church. Elder as in older, not necessarily in age, because you can have a 20-something-year-old elder, but is in maturity, where the church recognizes that this man is indeed a, a faithful, strong disciple in Christ who's able to teach others. And so he writes to them, he wants, them, he want, he wants to, to, them to be strong. He wants to encourage them strongly. He wants to urge them as a man who has witnessed Jesus Christ and his suffering. Remember when, when Peter denied the Lord, he saw the Lord at a distance and they crossed sight. And he exhorts them as a man who is hoping in the glory to be revealed. Verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Now, what he wants about the elders, he wants them to shepherd God's sheep. He wants them to shepherd the sheep. Do you remember when Jesus rose again from the dead and he saw Peter again after he had denied him in the past. He saw him again. What did Jesus say to him? Tend my sheep. And now in turn, he's telling the elders among you, among the congregation. So I'm telling the elders among you, Arta, fellow pastor. So this is for you, brother, and for me. And prospect elders, listen carefully. The Bible calls the elders, he tells them, shepherd, to shepherd the flock. Peter calls the elders to shepherd the sheep. In other words, to exercise 
oversight. To do it with oversight. They are to oversee the flock, which means that elders ought to roll up their sleeves and get into the dirty business of uh, handling and leading and guiding and watching and caring and overseeing and correcting and teaching and training and rebuking in love, correcting the people. God's people. Look at there in verse 2. She shepherd, sorry, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. But there are three don'ts that Peter is giving also. Three don'ts for the elders. Three don'ts which go against to everything the world teaches. Three don'ts that are opposite to what the world wants from their leaders. Let me explain. Many in authority within the world serve or rule by compulsion. They do it because they've got to do it. And so you have a, someone who is leading and is like, oh, I've just got to do it. That's the way the world does it. Peter says, don't. Don't do it by compulsion. The other way that he says don't is by corruption. This is the way that the world does it, as seeking the, the, the gain, monetary gain. And he says don't. When I was a little boy, my father taught me how to drive, to drive a vehicle. How old are you? Well, I was 10 when my dad started teaching me how to drive. And by the age of 11, I would be taking my mum from place to place to the market and so on and I think now and I think, well, what was my dad thinking? But that was how it was back then in my country. It was illegal, but my dad didn't care. He just said, let's do it. He got stopped by the police a couple of times. Well, more than a couple. And as I imagine a 10-year-old looking and, and trying to drive. And so he did get stopped. And on one occasion when he got stopped, or a couple, uh, he simply got his wallet out, got... 20 pound or the equivalent and gave it to the police officer and the police officer said okay don't do it again and left him go let him let us go well that's how it is in my country sadly and many are in the police force for their money because it brings is is very lucrative this is how the world does it but peter says about the elders don't there's a second don't but there's a third don't by coercion. Don't rule by force. Do not love power. I want to rule over us. <gasps> Thirsty for power. He says, don't. Look there in verse 2 again. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples for the flock. Being examples to the flock. But in a broken world filled with difficulty and with struggles and stubborn sheep, you have indeed a temptation to go through these don'ts and do as we're not meant to do. And how are the elders to... To, 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 to shepherd the, 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 the flock of the Lord without these don'ts? 
Well, the answer is the same as John Bunyan and the same as Christian with hope. Look at there in verse 5. Sorry, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Hoping the future glory of the, coming and, uh, of the coming of the Savior Jesus Christ will keep elders from shepherding the flock under compulsion, but they will do it willingly. They will not fear the crowd or fear the people. Oh, you mustn't be saying this or that because they are under the chief shepherd. And so they will, under his instruction, shepherd or teach and preach to the sheep. Hoping the future reward will keep the elders from shepherding out of shameful gain, but will eagerly be there serving the people, whether they get paid or not. Hoping the future glory in Jesus Christ will keep the elders from shepherding in a domineering way, but they will rule God's people with their personal example, for they too are sheep. Sheep of Jesus Christ. Elders are to follow in the steps of Peter. As Peter followed in the steps of Jesus Christ. Elders are to serve with hope. With hope. But that is the first group of people Peter's addressing to explain hope. But there's this second group, which is the younger. The younger also are to live in hope. Look at there in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Be subject. Be subject means to submit is exactly the same word that you find in chapter 2, verse 13, about being subject to the governing authorities. Is exactly the same word that is used in chapter 2, verse 18, about being subject to your master by being a slave. It is the same word in chapter 3, verse 1, of wives towards their husbands. As I've said before, submission is nothing to do with the value of the person. But submission is to do with order. You're not less valuable by being underneath someone else or in rank or in order. But it is to do with order as God has established it. It is to be under authority. And God calls believers to order themselves under their respective authority. And this includes their church Elders or pastors. This week we had a fraternal. And I was struck by one of the brothers who, uh, pastors fraternal, where only pastors meet to talk and pray and discuss and open the word. And one of the brothers shared with the group uh, some struggles that he was facing and he wanted advice. Someone in the church his church wasn't respecting him as an elder and so he said what can I do what can I do well 
We cannot make someone submit to us. Elders can't do that. In the same way that husbands cannot make their wives submit to them by simply banging on the table. You must do this. That is not doable. Submission is of the heart. And submission comes as a grace of God to the person. But submission is a command. In the same way that we are commanded to love. How can you, how can you obey a, a, a feeling we might think? But no, love is a command in the Bible. In the same way that we are called to rejoice, as we saw in this morning, uh, the prayer time uh, in, in the morning before the service. Rejoice is a command. And likewise, to submit is a command. We're called to submit to our elders. But it's an attitude from the heart. Elders cannot change the heart of the people. But the elders are called to shepherd them, which involves teaching and preaching and correcting and rebuking in love and ruling by example while relying on God to do the work in the heart of those whom we serve. So the Lord calls you to submit. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 is the scariest Bible verse ever, at least for a pastor, for me. Listen to this. It says, this is to all of us. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, this doesn't mean that you can then have to submit and do every single detail that the elder says. I mean, we all know that that is obvious. Elders, like governments and like husbands, have limits. Limits. The authority of the elder is a limited authority. An elder cannot micromanage the color of the socks that you are wearing or the breakfast that you have. Now, it might be funny to hear that, but you know, there are elders or churches that do make compulsion about the type of clothing you wear. There are churches that you have to wear a certain type of color of clothing to go to church. There are other churches that require you wearing a color every day of your life. I'm not kidding. Do we submit to those things? Well, it's obvious that is not. There was a time in the Roman Catholic Church imposed a law that husbands couldn't be intimate with their wives except for procreation. In fact, there was this rule that would limit the amount of times a week they could be together. Is it wrong to not be together for a period of time by mutual consent? No, it's not wrong. Is it sin to disobey a church that says that you that rules on their issue? No, it's not a sin to disobey such rule which is beyond the boundaries. Why? Because God has given limits to limits to that authority. There are many more examples. For example, of the state in history, uh, we see times when uh, uh, people were compelled to have a certain vocation in life. 
or, or, or other parts in, in the world even today where people are, are limited with the amount of children that they ought to have. These are go beyond their boundaries. In the United States, I was speaking to someone earlier this week, in, in some places in the United States, you're not allowed to collect rainwater or, or plant beans in your garden. I mean, this, they go beyond their limits and their jurisdiction. But not only does the Lord call you as a congregation to submit to your elders or pastors or overseers, but the Lord also calls believers to be humble. He calls them to dress in such a way that is beautiful, a beautiful way, but not, not with Dolce and Gabbana or with Gucci or with uh, Yves Saint Laurent or anything like that, or I don't know. What is that one, brother? Lacoste or anything. No. We're called, believers are called to dress with humility. That is a beautiful way of dressing. It is, I'm not talking about physical dress. I'm talking about the attitude of humility. To be dressed with humility. To have an attitude, a humble attitude, recognizing others as greater than us. Within the church. Look at there in verse 5 again. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But let me ask you. In a broken world with different values... How can Christians be subject to their elders or how can Christians clothe themselves with humility? When everyone else says we ought to do the opposite, how can we do it? How can we go against the odds? And the answer is the same with the elders, hope. Look at there in verse 6, hope. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time. He may exalt you. Can you see the future hope, the awaiting that will come? It will come. He will exalt you. And then he adds, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Believers are to willingly order themselves under the elders because of the future hope they have in glory. And believers ought to clothe themselves with all humility towards one another because of the future hope they have in glory. So Peter has addressed the elders, he's addressed the younger, and now he moves to address the suffering. He wants them to be Sober-minded and watchful. He doesn't want them sleeping or being distracted because it is very dangerous. Look at there in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Think clearly. Be watchful. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants believers to resist this lion, this roaring lion. And who is the lion? The devil or their adversary. 
And what does the lion do? How is this lion described? What is the adjective that is describing this lion? Look at it there again. It's a roaring lion. And how do we recognize the roar of the lion in our lives? Suffering. Suffering is the roar of the lion in our lives. Look at verse 9. Resist him, firming your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In the time of Nero, people were being persecuted. Christians were being persecuted for the faith. During the Roman Empire's persecution, believers were tortured to death and for simply not pinching incense and throwing it to be burnt toward, uh, for, 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 for the idol of the emperor. Many today would rationalise and say, well, it's just incense. I mean, it means nothing. But they knew that by doing that, you were saying Caesar is Lord. Many died for not saying Caesar is Lord, but rather Jesus is Lord. And many believers were thrown to the lions and torn apart. How are they to receive the roaring lion of suffering? In the same way that the elders are to conduct themselves and the younger are to conduct themselves, the answer is hope. Hope. Look at verse 10 again. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, you see the future hope, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. My dear brothers and sisters, it is God who controls even suffering. Even God controls our suffering. In chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Chapter 4, he began by saying, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And then further in verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. And then he finishes there in verse 19 about suffering. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While suffering according to God's will. God is in charge of suffering. God is accomplishing his purposes even through suffering. And suffering will include many injustices in our lives. And none of us like injustices. We do not like injustices against ourselves. Especially when our names are on the line. And think about it. As human beings, we care more about the honour of our names more than anyone else around. We care more about the vindication of our name here and now. But remember, God did not call you and me to our glory. God called us to the glory of Jesus Christ, to his eternal glory, as we read there in, in chapter 
5, verse 10. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So, if you suffer now, if you are reviled now, if you are afflicted now, don't fret. One day all will be revealed in the final judgment when Christ returns. And then he will vindicate his people. Then his people will be crowned with glory. Then, and and the crown of glory is not a glory over anyone else. It is indeed the glory that has been shared by the Lord. It is the glory, our boast, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. Look at there in verse 10 again. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The Lord will establish his people. The Lord, the Lord who cares. So, Peter has addressed the elders. He's addressed the younger. He's addressed the suffering. He's told the elders that they ought to oversee the flock. With hope, not domineering, not by coercion, not by compulsion, with hope, giving an example to the people. Supernatural work of God is that. The younger ought to live their lives in hope as well, submitting and being humble with hope in their sight. And the suffering also are to live their lives with hope, with hope in their sight. So, it leads to my exhortation. Walk in hope. Walk in hope. Oh, gaze your eyes to the horizon of this world when it finishes. We, will, we have a glory, a future glory, a hope that is that secured by the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We have a, a living hope. Gaze your eyes to that moment when Christ will return. Walk in hope and as you do, you will grow in holiness and love. Love towards God and love towards his people. Walking hope. And when you do, you will grow to be the person the Lord wants you to be. Walking hope and you will not resent when others have been given authority over you. But rather you will gladly order yourself in light of what God has revealed and given. Remove your eyes away from the future hope and you will hate submission. You will loathe submission. Walking hope and evil as evildoers coerce you to lie. You will stand firm. Not by declaring Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Walking hope while the roaring and the hating and the thieving lion of suffering comes to intimidate you. But look away. Look away from the hardship and the difficulties of life and fill your eyes with a future hope of glory that is found in the Lord and Saviour. And he will restore, confirm, establish and build you. Walk. In hope. As I close this 
message. A man by the name of William Tyndale died at the stake in 1536. He was died at the stake and then he was strangled and his body was set alight. The crime, the crime was that he was translating the Bible into the vernacular. He translated the Bible into the English. That was the crime. A few years before he was killed, a woman and six men were also burnt at the stake because they taught children the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments in English. As Tyndall continued to read his Bible in the Hebrew and Greek, he began to realize that much of what was being told in the established church was at odds with what he was reading in the scriptures. What is it that kept Tyndale going? Why would he continue translating the Bible into the English if it was forbidden and if he was facing so much opposition? What is it that was keeping him from, tra- uh, from stopping and, and carrying on translating despite the threats of death? Hope. And that hope that he had was the hope he wanted others to receive. And so he translated and put his life to the, to the line because he wanted others to hear and to have the hope, the living hope that is only found in Jesus Christ, the Saviour. And he sealed his life with blood. He died. As he was being tied at the stake, he prayed out loud, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And two years after his death, the Lord answered his prayer. Because the king commissioned the translation of the Bible into the English. And much of William Tyndale's writings were used. In fact, today the Bibles we hold in our hands are the fruit of much of Tyndale's labours. Much of his works were used to translate the Bible in the King James Version. And as a result, we have our Bibles even today. William Tyndale. Like John Bunyan, like Christian, like Peter, walked in hope. Let us join them and walk in hope for the glory of the name of our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, we come before you, recognising our need of you, O Lord. Father, we pray that you may help us, Father, to live in light of your word. And that you may help us, Lord, to be faithful in our walk, that we may walk in hope. But pray, Lord, that as elders, you may give us, Lord, the grace to shepherd the flock and oversee without compulsion, but willingly. Not out of any gain, monetary gain, but with the desire to serve. Not domineering, but giving an example to the people. I pray also, Lord, that the congregation may willingly and lovingly submit to their elders. That they may do so, Lord, dressed and clothed with humility. Humility towards one another. 
by looking to Christ in hope. And I pray, Lord, that as the heat is turned up in the world in which we live and as opposition and struggle and pain and even suffering may knock on our door, that you may give us the grace of Father to live in hope for the glory and praise of your name. So, Lord, we give you thanks again for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.